Sure, I can take it away. Go ahead. Um, we got Luke Clancy with us again today. Yeah, I'm our favorite guest to have on the podcast consistently. We would never had anyone more than once, right? Uh, correct. Yes, and he's, no, we did. We had Ben Rosen twice. Oh yes, and Jonathan. But no, we lost one of those podcasts because of true the coffee incident. But anyway, all that to say, Luke Clancy, good friend of ours, great guy to have on a podcast. Wonderful talker. Today we're going to talk about building communities because Luke has done an amazing job at building his. Um, I've really enjoyed being a part of it. Um, it's been great. Rohan and I have kind of tried to do a similar thing um, with ourselves. Uh, yeah. To- I mean, even to preface, like some of our top episodes, actually, the two episodes you did are two of our top episodes by streams because you've built such an audience around Twitter, around your social media. That you just put that out there and everyone already wanted to listen just to hear your voice. Yeah, and I've just you know I've just listened to it on repeat so many times to get my numbers up. <laughs> His mom is like twenty of the listens. <laughs> um, yeah, but in addition to that, we're also going this weekend up to Michigan to go on a entrepreneurial retreat with um, some guys up there because they have built a community, and you actually got connected with with Bobby, who's one of the founders of that. He is the founder, isn't he? Yeah, I can give it a little context. So basically, sure. I was listening to a My First Million podcast with a bunch of U Michigan students pitching their <laughs> um, startup ideas. And it was like crazy impressive. The two hosts, Shampur and Sam Parr, were super impressed. And then about halfway in between this super boisterous and loud guy, Bobby Housefield, comes in. He's like, yo, what up, guys? I'm Bobby. <laughs> um, super confident and basically talks about how he's built a community of killers after just trying to find them for the last two years um, at U Michigan's campus and all the cool stuff that they're doing and how they're trying to take it nationwide. So I hit him up on LinkedIn. We hopped on a call. And on that call, he's like, yo, I'm going to do a retreat. Come slide. And uh, now we're actually going <laughs> this weekend. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be really exciting. Um, we'll probably make some predictions about what we think it'll be like towards the end. Um, yeah. But let's start. I want to start by talking about his white paper that he put out about his entrepreneurial community they call it the entrepreneur power hour um so here's like basically he had, he set out the problem and then the solutions that he has like through the power hour so the problem he has with entrepreneurship based events or first there's three there's three different ways you can find these entrepreneur things entrepreneur events student run clubs or like incubators mm. and i guess there's also the, the like entrepreneurship meetups but those aren't kind of one off and not that big, yeah. um, but the entrepreneurship of like events or centers on campus, he said they're good about like setting a baseline, but they're only usually like one off events and hard to like continue meeting people. They're run by academics who have like no skin in the game, and so yeah. mm-hmm. like if your uh, startup's failing, they still clock out at five, so that you're not going to get that much help or that much um, benefit from these. From in his opinion, he said the second was like student run clubs. They're very unentrepreneurial um, mm-hmm. because they're they have mandatory meetings, low acceptance rate, um, and they attract the wrong people because they will, they're like very hyper-organized organizations. They have a structure to them. Uh, a lot of people also join those for like resume. Yeah, the, yeah, and he, he says like because there's like leadership positions, they're doing it just to get the resume boost. Not yeah. really. There are a bunch of entrepreneurs is what yeah. he says. Go join those. Um, people that want to put the face on that they're entrepreneur, get something on their resume, and but not actually jump in there and get after it. Um the third one was the incubators. He says these uh, can be good, but they're super competitive, and they're usually only accepting venture-backable startups, mm-hmm. which means that once you get in, you're going to have a small, limited um, group of people that are usually other founders. So if you want to find someone to do like web development or whatever for your startup, 
you're not going to find that because the other people are doing their venture backable yeah. startups mm-hmm. and it's it's just not very open um and it's just not the greatest way for like a lot of people to, if you want to get into it and finally like the meetups he says meetups are like can be fine if you're you know far away from big city or you just don't have any people to like connect to but if you're in college uh, you're just like missing on the opportunity to meet people your own age mm-hmm. and you're probably going to be like sitting next to some gray-haired guy next to you is like start like did some service company back in the day and like likes entrepreneurship or something and you yeah. can learn from him but it's not the same as having someone that's your same age you're gonna miss a little bit of that opportunity yeah so the solutions he had for that is the entrepreneurship power hour that he does which we're going to be a part of this weekend and i'm really excited for um he said there's i think he had three main things that are four main things that he said and then there's four at the bottom that i'll talk about quickly afterwards but basically it's open source there's like no barriers to entry um, Wait, so on that same, yeah. before you move to number two, I thought there is a barrier to entry. He only invited like 24 people, right? Um, Basically, the barrier to entry of like a club, like an entrepreneurship <laughs> club would be like if you miss too many meetings or you don't come to like chapter this week or you don't pay dues or there's like a rigorous application mm-hmm. process where like uh-huh. if you join a business right here at U of I, like what, 500 people apply and like 20, 30 people get in. Yeah. So like it's a very low amount of people. <laughs> so that's like, that's the barrier to entry that he's like, cutting out and and to be clear what we're going on is a retreat like a weekend retreat where there is a barrier to entry and you have to be kind of like a killer entrepreneur um but he hosts like these weekly meetups or bi-weekly meetups uh that are completely open source so there is no barrier to entry there right correct um the second thing is the right incentive structure so you need to be um you want it to be entrepreneurial unlike the student-run clubs which are like exact base there's payments there's rules which are very unentrepreneurial you want it to be he says his thing is enjoying the culture is a barrier to entry, um, which is another thing that is big on his white paper. Especially, that's huge. You used to talk a lot about that at Illini Blockchain. Like mm-hmm. Something you'd look for in people is, are they even fit with the culture? If so, they're going to put a lot more effort naturally into this. Yeah, and, and what he does with his, right, is there's no resume booster to coming to a bunch of meetups and chatting with other founders, right? That doesn't That doesn't give you any sort of clout when you're like going in for an interview. Um, and you know, if you're not building anything, you kind of like can't relate on a lot of topics, right? Or you might feel like the, like black swan there, but for somebody who's actually building something and is a founder that is like aligned with those things, it's like the perfect, um, place to go. Right. Correct. And then the final thing is that, um, oh, the third thing, sorry, I missed one. It's the, you have the right people. So early on, he said you, you hand selected the early people. So like the first 25 to 50 people was very hand selected. He wanted to start with a culture of people that are very similar to the thing he wanted to uh, propagate with through his community right because if you do that willy-nilly in the beginning it can turn into something that's not very specific into what you actually wanted but as time goes on you can kind of once you set that early culture it's easier to build from there um 100 percent yeah and the final thing was it's kind of what we did with the whole uh cold punch thing which we'll talk about later we start the first time we did this. We sent a message in the, the fellowship chat we had. Which so there's like, like, what, five, six people? Seven seven people that are all building things. And then from there, they brought all their friends and added to the Polar Pawns group. Yeah, right? correct, correct. So, Clancy, you started the jam sesh. And when did you start this? Started it last semester. Um, yeah, when I came back from abroad, I kind of just realized that my favorite form of socializing was having really good conversations with people. And I wasn't having those in the traditional like uh, social settings of like going to a bar. Um, or something like that. And so then I just started to invite the interesting, like the people that I would, I would have interesting conversations with, I started inviting them to my apartment and then it slowly grew from there. Right. Yeah. And so this 
jam sesh started out with how many people? When the first one came, it was like five. Okay. And, and now we're on like 14. And you had like organized topics for the first few. Where I remember coming to one where we had a Socratic seminar. Where there was like 20 people all in a circle talking about the same topic. Yeah. It was way less casual. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to have a built-in conversation starter. That one was a little bit different because um, I'll talk about that later, about what I learned from it. Um, but I would have like intro topics because that also kind of decreased the barriers to entry of people having good conversations because they already both know that they're interested in religion or they're interested in building side projects and creativity or they're whatever it be. You did one about AI. And that, I remember we all talked about it. Even people who had no idea what AI was, we learned so much. Remember that guy scared us? Yeah, we did. He yeah. did scare us. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I want to back up a little bit. Luke, you said, you said something interesting. The reason you want to start it was because like the normal things you were, social settings you were getting, uh, you weren't getting what you wanted out of them. Yeah. And so that's why you started this. Can, can you talk a little bit about what made you want to start it and why you think someone else should start something like this for themselves? hundred percent of it. So when I was living in Madrid, um, I happened to live above this like private social invite only weed club. Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I happened to run to the owner in like the street when I was walking out of the apartment and he was like, Hey, just, you know, wanted to introduce myself. He's Ricardo. And he's like, yeah, sorry about the music. Cause they have like, you know, they'll have EDM one night or maybe they'll have like a jazz session another night. But he's like, hey, yeah, come by anytime. And so I went, and I absolutely fell in love. Like, the vibe of the place, all the people that went there were so awesome. And it was, like, a, a very big part of my life in, in Madrid. And I realized that it all stemmed from this guy, Ricardo. It was basically over the course of 15 or 20 years that he'd been building it. He had just been inviting friends and meeting people and bringing them there. And now he had, I mean, he had people flying. Like, whenever they came to Europe, they would always stop in Madrid to come to this club. So, and it wasn't just like the weed was really good. It was because of the people that he'd built. And I realized how powerful it was and how awesome his life was because he had an awesome community. And so I wanted to do the same. Um, and uh, What was his community based upon? I don't know. I think it was just, I don't know, curious people that uh, like smoking weed, I guess. All right. Yeah, but they had, they had a bunch of stuff, right? They'd have yoga sessions. They'd have meditation sessions. They would have, you know, a bunch of other stuff. It's like an all-day type of thing. Like it's always going on. Uh, yeah, so there were like co-working hours during the day and then they would have some sort of event at night. Maybe they would have some sort of dance, like a traditional Spanish dance that people could come to. Um, and then they always had food that was readily, readily available. Um, Did it pay to get in? Yeah, you had to pay to get in and you could only get in if you were referred to by another member. Oh. So that was a way, that was something that I learned with the jam sessions as well, where it's like, this is sort of open sourced. Um, but I want to curate like a sense of, of, uh, at least for me. So, so what I realized was like I had all of these amazing conversations with people throughout my time, right? Like I chatted with Rohan over winter, like before winter break and just hit it off immediately. And I was like, okay, I definitely want to hang out with a guy like Rohan a lot more. And there is, you know, probably 15 to 20 other people in my life that I wasn't consistently seeing. But every time I saw, I had just a, you know, a conversation I wish would have lasted two hours longer. And it always felt like that. And so I realized, okay, I could just become like Ricardo and just invite all of my friends to like this cool spot um, or maybe not so cool spot, like just my apartment and just invite all of the people that I love having conversations with. And then I could just hang out with all of them on a weekly basis and uh, yeah, have a good time and kind of plug in the thing that I was missing in my life. So take me through from idea to today. So idea you had leaving Madrid you come to campus and you start with your first one, you have five people there or something like that. Right? Yeah. 
And now you've had how many? 14 total? 14 jam sessions, anywhere ranging from like, um, you know, 10 people will come to like 40 people have come, depending on how early I send out a text Yeah. Um, for it coming and, and what day of the week it is. But yeah, I mean, dude, the first time was like an instant success, right? And this is like the awesome part about building a community of people that you're aligned with is that, at least in my opinion, if I only got one person or two people to come, that was great because then I was having an awesome conversation with my friend Rohan that I wanted to see anyways. And having this community was just an excuse for me to consistently see him. And so it didn't matter if it was two people or if it was 20. Um, the only thing that would change was like the number of interesting conversations that were happening concurrently. But like my satisfaction that came from it like was awesome from day one. Um, and it's only increased as I've seen more and more people become friends between it. Yeah, and, and that, that's what I was going to say. There's probably two benefits that come. There's the internal benefit of you being able to meet people. But also, if I come to your jam session and I meet Rami Asaf for the first time or Aiden Murphy, these people that now I'm friends with, because I went to your jam session, I give credit to you because of my relationship with them. So now there's like this, I'm not indebted to you or anything like that, but I feel this like gratitude towards you, yeah. even though it was all passive. You didn't actually like do anything except invite us both to the same event. Yeah, 100%. It was one of those crazy things where it just, it's a beautiful win-win. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think life is like a lot more fun when you are hanging out with people that are pretty aligned with you. And if you just create a community and you have whatever five people that are aligned with something that you want. So for you guys, it was doing cold plunges and doing hard things consistently. You know, you wanted to find more people on campus like that. For me, it was having more intellectually stimulating conversations. Life gets better when you're hanging around people that are aligned with the cool stuff that you want to do or the things that you're interested in. Um, and they're like a little bit different, right? Maybe they have, they have similar values, similar like ideas on what is fun for them. But uh you know, they're interested in a different field. So you kind of get a different a different view. I think life is just better like that. And if you start your own community and then it grows from five people to then they invite their friends and now you've got 10 or 20. Now you, you know, it's like the most effective and efficient way to find the people that you eventually want to find in your life. So if your whole goal was to like meet intellectually stimulating people, I assume a lot of those people like to read certain articles, listen to certain podcasts. Is there a reason so far you haven't created some sort of offline like discord or group me or somewhere where we could connect with each other even when we're not at your jam session in particular so i'm changing that a little bit um i'm adding like a little database of like people and to the notion that i have um where you can contact that effort after but my main goal with this is i want it to be as low effort as possibly could be so literally all i do is just send out a text or a snapchat to like people on a list and every time i have a good conversation with someone i just throw them on the list and so I want it to be as low effort as possible. Like, I don't even answer texts when it comes. Like, people will just figure it out how to get up to my room um, in my apartment. And then they just let themselves in. So that's a big reason why I didn't want to do it. It's like, I didn't want to have, I didn't want this to be something that was like a venture for me. It was literally just an outlet for me to hang out with the people I wanted to consistently hang out with. I read this book. It's called Never Eat Alone by like Keith Ferrazzi. Ah, uh, yeah. You read it? Um, I recommended it. Yeah, it. it's a good book. Um, but one of the things that he says in there is, um, the whole, the whole idea behind the book is like never eat alone. Right. So if you're eating dinner, like invite someone over or something, yeah. right. It's do the things that you would do already. Just do them with someone else. And when you're doing things you already want to do and there's people along with you, those people are, are interested in at least the, the thing you're doing yeah. now. Right. So say I want to go rock climbing, right. I could just go rock climb or I could bring a friend that wants to rock climb. Mm -hmm. And now I align with this person on are both mutual interest in rock climbing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the problem is a lot of people are like, 
not very intentional about this, mm-hmm. and I've had that trouble myself, where you're being intentional about the intellectually com- uh, stimulating conversation that you want to have, and that's your barrier to entry, right? You want someone that's going to have an intellectually stimulating conversation. A lot of people, I think, they want to have that, so those social interactions, but the problem is they'll just do it willy-nilly, and it's like, oh, everyone's going to lie in our camps this, yeah. tonight, so we'll go there. And they don't really get what they're looking for. Some people do, and like, but for a lot of people, like myself included, I don't really get the same like enjoyment or fulfillment out of uh, like screaming conversation into someone's ear, like two <laughs> like two inches away yeah. that you like can't hear and you like don't know what they're saying and like all this stuff. It's just not the same as going to a intellectually stimulating conversational sesh where there's forty people that are like minded and have interesting things to talk about. Yeah, it's actually funny you say that in the, like the the beginning part that you said is because I don't have just lists for the conversationalist jam sessions. I have lists for rock climbing people. I have lists for people who play basketball. I have lists for people I like going out with. I have lists for people that I like don't see consistently. Maybe they live in a different place or they go to a college and and I want to stay in contact with them. I call them my traffic test people. So whenever I talk with them, I I, I, I let's say I was in a car with them and I'm talking with them, I'm like hoping that there's traffic. Because the conversation will last longer. I like that. I have, I have, uh, you know, like family that I want to like consistently stay involved with. So I've slowly become very intentional about these things, and it's made my life way better. Wow. Yeah. So we tried to emulate some of the things that you've shown us throughout going to the jam session and stuff, and we can talk a little bit about that now. We this is actually Rohan's idea doing a cold plunge. Um, so we do a cold plunge once a week, um, 8 a.m. on when, on Tuesdays. So, number one, it's 8 a.m. in the morning. Number two, it's a cold plunge, right? <laughs> most people most people in college, number one, don't wake up at 8 a.m., and number two, would never just willingly jump in a cold body of water. So, winter. Exactly, yeah, right, and you get out and it's cold and freezing. So, we are doing a, a little bit different than you in the sense of that the barrier to entries, instead of being able to have an intellectual conversation, it's someone that's willing to do something that most people wouldn't, right? Mm. Which is jump in a cold body of water at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, right? And I think that's, <clears throat> it's starting to take off. So we started off, we, like we said earlier, we just sent in a group chat with six, seven people. How many people were at the first one? Probably uh, most of those people, right? Like five or six. Yeah, I think we all showed up. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good group. And it's because we self-selected that group of people that we knew would be interested in this. It was, it was just us three, Aiden, and Evan. It was five. I remember. Uh, yeah, and now, last this last Tuesday, we had 19 people there. Man. Really? Got yeah. To the point yeah where someone came out of their house and started like recording. Our- oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So we are running into some problems there, but <laughs> those can be uh, resolved. Yeah. Um, Gab, you just chat them up. Maybe that's what we did. We literally had we literally had um, Aiden Murphy was in the sauna at his apartment, talking to some some random guys in there. Said, "Hey, we're going to cold plunge tomorrow morning." They said, "Sweet, we're in." Showed up. Three of them. They were there. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Now, the cold plunge that they did wasn't fully a, a cold plunge. They were like halfway in, halfway out, like, ah. Mm. But they were there. Yep. They did it. And who knows if they'll come back. But it's just that that barrier of entry of like doing hard stuff. And on top of that, like when you're doing hard stuff with people you're around, like you just bond because of that. The thing I do like about the cold plunges is like, I mean, you see like 20, 20 young guys, a lot of testosterone. And you'd think it'd be like all competitive and Literally, that's how you that's how you die. <laughs> you need to stay yep. in a cold plunge because you want to stay there longer than your other friends, right? But we've made it so that it's like, if, if you come there, you even want to just go in for a minute, so be it. Congratulations. Like, we we applaud that. Mm. That's something that's also been helpful and it's like doesn't scare people away. So I've got a new idea, right? 
So we talked we talked to Larry Geese yesterday, and he mentioned like um, one of the big skills that someone can have is to get better at conversating, right? Mm-hmm. Being better at articulating your points. And he said, every chance you get, sp- speak to someone, right? Mm-hmm. Tell a story, tell in your own way, whatever it is. Get in front of Toastmasters, whatever it is. Just get better at it. Just practice it. Okay. So. I also heard that being in a cold plunge, your your fight or flight system takes over, and so your thinking brain kind of gets sent to the backwards, right? Mm. You get kind of, and so what they say is like, you know, when you're in the cold plunge, if you want to work on um, handling stress, you can do something that's intellectually stimulating. So whether that's like do math problems or fault solve a Rubik's cube or whatever it is, so you're you're th- you're thinking and you're overriding those circuits where the the stress is like pushing your yeah. thinking brain away. So my idea is. We get someone, whoever it is, one of the group, to like tell a little speech while we're in there for like thirty seconds. Oh, while we're in the cold plunge, and number one, it's gonna be like a motivating thing. It's gonna be, it's kind of cringy, but it's it, it's fun. Number two, uh, whoever's doing it, they get the added benefit of learning to speak better, learning to communicate better, uh, telling a story, getting people behind you, and like selling someone on your point, whatever it is, it's some motivational point. You're selling someone on this. this. And number four. You are also getting the cognitive benefits of you have a speech that you need to remember while you're in the middle of this hard thing, Man, freaking out. That's really and so good. I think we should have one or two people each week say a 30 second like Ooh, little speech yeah, of like yeah. who's going to carry the boats or something, whatever <laughs> it is. Like let's burn the bridges, whatever it is, something to get the people going while they're in the, the cold punch. I think that's my new addition to the cold punch. I love that. And I've actually... I've had a personal experience with this. I've I've heard like people say some pretty stupid things in the cold punch because their thinking brain really does go away. No one knows what to say. It's kind of like I realized that actually. So that mm-hmm. would be a cool test. I used to do when I did cold punch. I did cold punch like two, three, four times a week. Try to do every day, but I just I was buying like eighty, hundred pounds of ice, and it was just too expensive to do every day. But I was doing it every day in a trash can, and me and a buddy we'd go in and then we'd go in after each other and we'd like try to talk to each other while we were in it. And like have conversation, and it's so funny because the person in the cold plunge just thinks they're talking very eloquently, yeah. but you come out the, uh, the. <laughs> and you come out just sounding like an idiot. Yeah, and so it's funny because you you really do lose that. And so if you can yeah. practice it as a skill to practice having that intellectual wall, like your stress and your journal and just flowing, I think it can be beneficial. And so that's yes. something I'm gonna add. That's kind of a side, but that's something I want to add to the cold plunge. I like that a lot. Guys, I'll, in? I'll do the uh, the lone survivor speech. Like you know, sky too high, no sea too rough. I'll I'll do it. You'll you'll see it. I, I, I love it. I'm excited. Like I'm excited. A, yeah, minute long speech. I think we're gonna have a big group next week, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, I don't know where you guys want to take this, but I got one area with you guys here. Let's talk it's, about it. Is iterating your tactics while building your community, uh-huh. um, because you know, obviously, you get the raw ingredients there, right? You get the people that are aligned, and you get like a, some sort of mission, right? Doing hard things, having good conversations. But then you can like optimize, like you're not perfect, right? And you can optimize some of the like little things. And I love those like little tweaks th- that work well. One of the things that I that I iterated on was something I learned from Jacob because the first time Jacob came, he didn't have a good time at this jam session, and he didn't come for a few other jam sessions. It so had me rattled for a little bit. I was like, man, what happened? And after chatting with him, what I realized the the crux of the problem was is we had like 15 people all in one big circle. And so what ended up happening was it was just like one person talking at a time and everyone else listening. And so the conversation just wasn't that good. And usually the optimum number of com- people in a conversation is like three to five. Like f- I think five is like the max, at least according to my mom. 
um, that's she's like a big dinner dinner gal, and she hosts a bunch of dinners. She's like mm-hmm. only five, so it's kind of awkward because she's got all friends who are couples. So like maybe she has to go six. But, <laughs> but uh, but the way that I switched it up is I put my coffee table right in the center. And so once I hit a critical mass, I would make somebody sit on the coffee table or I would sit on it. So it'd break apart the room and it worked perfectly. Because then throughout, like after I after I made that little tweak, never, ever again happened. And even like yesterday, I sensed it happening. Like a few people showed up and everyone was just in a circle. I was like, wait, guys, you don't sit in that chair. You have to sit on this coffee table, please. And then the conversation flew throughout. Yeah, no, I noticed that. I noticed the first time I went, it was one conversation that, I thought wasn't going down a particularly um, interesting route. We were talking about whether speed limit should be changed or not. And I thought I could argue with the guy that was saying it for hours. And I would never have been convinced of his point. <laughs> never in a million years. But that to say, I went another time. And if there was a conversation I didn't like, you could just move just to the literally left. just turn my head and say, oh, they're talking about something else. Like I have that <laughs> conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that was very beneficial um and also it just gave more opportunity for to actually move the conversation the way you want when there's 15 people in a conversation it's very difficult to get it to where you want to be it right yeah Yeah, right when there's three or four people it's pretty easy yeah and these things are like very scalable they grow compoundly right you now have 40 people coming but they're all in your little apartment one thing i like is that having at your apartment compared to like an atrium or somewhere else is it's way more casual people take off their shoes and it's like yeah proper conversation yeah but what's next so you're about to be a senior next year say this thing keeps on growing because you tell everyone you're like okay come and bring all your bring your friend yeah so like that's gonna compound you know uh, what's gonna happen when you have like <laughs> 70 people that want to come and you're like literally no space you're asking questions i don't have answers <laughs> to you know again this is like something that was low effort i'll figure that out when the time comes one thing I think would be cool, I got a friend, PJ, who hosts, like, mm-hmm. parties, or he hosts bands, like, local champagne or bands. Jam bands, right? Yeah, jam.town. Jamtown, yeah. Um, and so I'm going to host a concert um, with <laughs> all of these people, and we'll see. Um, but honestly, you, yeah, I don't know. That, that You'll will, be living in a house next year, right? So you'll have yeah, I'll there. be in a house. And honestly, it's just like, uh, I'll take that when it comes, right? There's no need to, like, over plan or it's going to, like, keep doing it, and then when constraints... You know, when I have to grow, then I'll then I'll grow, and I'll figure it out. So I have two things written down. Number one, quality is better than quantity, and number two, grow, shrink, grow. And so that's something I noticed from yours that I took away from your thing is it's important to have the quality of people, and you don't just want to be this huge thing, right? Same thing with the cold plunge. The cold plunge is a little different because we have that barrier to entry, and so anyone that's coming, we know that they're going to be like, if they're going to get in the water, yeah, they're like the person that we want to like be around, right? So we have that. But in a lot of situations where you want to build a community, you don't want to grow too fast because you lose the spark that the community has. You lose that culture because new people come. And as too many new people come, they lose sight of the the original culture because there's too many new people that don't really know about it yet. So you got to build slowly. And uh, the grocery and grow was another thing I thought is like you grow, you might grow too fast. And then you kind of have to dial it back to say, okay, like. There's some people here that don't really, like, align with our, our culture. And it's not about, like, kicking them out to the curb or whatever. Um, it's about having ways to kind of select for that in the situation that you're in. Right? But then the if you do right? over-select, how do you shrink down? How do you shrink down? What, do you have a hard conversation like you're not invited anymore? No, I think you just make – so one of the things earlier that he put in the white paper for the Entrepreneurship Power Hour was, like, um, 
they have to want to enjoy the culture and that's a barrier, right? Mm. So you can add these barriers where you're not telling them like, hey, don't come. It's just that you might now, okay, you might say, everyone who comes to the jam session now, you have to come with one intellectually simulating conversation. Oh. You ask people. Yeah, or certainly. you have a name so, tag where you put something interesting about you. Now, all of a sudden, people who don't want to ask that question or don't have something to put on their name tag, I mean, you don't have to actually do that. It's an example of it. Yeah. Now, yeah. they won't even want to come on their own. So you just mm-hmm. increase the barrier to a point where someone that doesn't fit that mold of that yeah, person yeah, yeah. doesn't want to come. So I listened to this. Uh, Aiden Murphy was telling me the other day that he was listening to one of the entrepreneurs in his entrepreneurship hub because he did something very similar to what we did. They they had a group of people working for them that they kind of grew too fast and there's too many people. And so they had to be like, okay, we need to like shrink the amount of people that are working here. So what do we do? Well, all they did was they just said, all right, we expect right now we expect X out of you. Um, next week we expect 2X of you. And the people that are really killers and they want to be there, they're going to perform to 2X. Mm. The people that they didn't want to be there in the first place are like, Ah, I don't want to work that much. Yeah. They leave. So they only left, they basically left by themselves. Yeah, and so yeah. it's just, sometimes there can be times where you have to be like, it's just not working out. You might have to have that conversation. Yeah. But there's a lot of times where you can just up the ante and really make it to the point where the people that are there, they want to be there. If you up the ante, it doesn't change anything for them because sure. they're already doing that and that's where they want, that's what they want to be a part of. Right. So for us, if it's not cold plunge, like the people that want to do the cold plunge are going to want to do the cold plunge. And the people that want to, hear some stupid speech, uh, some stupid motivational speech, they're going to already want that, right? Yeah. And the people that don't want that, they're going to leave. Be- and those are the people you don't want there anyways. And if we have 40 people and we realize, okay, that's not enough to actually fit in this lake in the part we're at, we just move it to 7 a.m. Boom. Now you've already cut down half because people are not going to come at 7, right? So- might cut me down, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I might cut myself out too. <laughs> but it's one way. There you go. I'll be there. Um, but I agree. Like the quality over quantity matters a lot. You guys know, actually, this from uh, the story you said about, like, the weed shop, and you have to pay, but you need a referral. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, you know Arlen Moore, right? Yep, love that. You know guy. who that is? He's, like, a big social media nope. guy now. Um, kind of a similar podcast to this, but he has this Linktree alternative. There's, like, Linktree and Beacons. Those are just free platforms mm-hmm. where you can create, like, a, a culmination of all your different links, right? Your Twitter, your website, whatever. He has a company called Whovi. Mm-hmm. And what he's done with it is he's created this feeling of exclusivity where Tom Brady has a Hoobie account. You have to pay $9 a month or something like that, and you get this custom link tree thing. called It's like a Hoobie link, Hoobie yeah. da- slash Tom Brady. But you have to get invited by him. You have to apply to be on it. Oh, There's like Summer Ray. Basically, a ton of like famous people are on this. So now everyone's like, ooh, I want to be part of this community because it's like Tom Brady's on this, like Kawhi Leonard and like these really, really cool celebrities and so he's created this like not anyone can just create this profile on a hubi account you have to be a certain type of person so he can charge for that so i've seen another one it's called what is utopia right and it's by two guys iman gatsi and adam horowitz mm, same friend group as arlen right yeah so uh adam horowitz was like this big youtuber he had like a bunch of like travel youtube stuff um Iman did some companies, software companies or something, and like a flexor online. That's a huge flexor. <laughs> They're both flexors. They're both flexors. <laughs> Anyways, they started this this thing. I I don't join it, but I, I follow their page. They said, all right, everyone follow. You'll only get accepted if you have a good enough Instagram page. You, um, So I, I followed. My friend followed. Got denied. Like He was like, you know, I'm just going to apply, uh, like follow until they accept me. Followed 10 times. Hmm? The day after they accepted him, was the day that they dropped their like paid thing. So 
they they made it seem super exclusive, right? Yeah. So this is a little bit of like kind of the like little scammy way of doing what we're doing, but basically they they said you have to make 500k a year and you want to do like have a good social com- like people social club of people that aren't going to like just go with you for your money, right? Because if you're 500k and you're traveling, you're going to have to pay for all your friends or whatever if you want them. So you meet people that have similar net worth, similar yeah, yeah. revenues so that you whatever. And they basically just post a bunch of models like hanging out on a boat all the time. So like it seems cool. But that's another thing that someone's done that's taken these ideas and made them into like a payable community. Right. All right. Let's switch it up. Let's uh, let's talk about because I think it's not just you have to, you know, you create a community or whatever, but I think everyone could be able to do this. Right. It's just creating a community is just finding people who are aligned with the stuff you are aligned with and then hanging out with them more often than you normally do. Yeah. Let's chat about how people can find the people that they are actually looking for. Mm, good idea, yeah. I've got two ways. One's in person and one's online. So I think the in-person way is to just, in conversation, kind of throw out questions that are feelers for the type of person that you want to chat with, right? So like if I'm chatting with someone and I... uh I, I throw out like, uh, you know, Andrew Huberman, right? If they know Andrew Huberman, that's probably a good sign. Like they're pretty intellectually curious. This guy is just like some neuroscience. Obviously, everyone who listens to this podcast probably knows, but he's like a PhD, whatever, at Stanford and just talks about a bunch of nerd stuff um, for productivity. That, that That's a pretty good signal if they know who he is and they're like, oh my God, you know Andrew Huberman? Like, all right, that's- We're going to be friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Remember how you met Austin Kennedy in the sauna? Yeah, that is, that is. He was preaching the, the good word to like some <laughs> freshman. And then I was like, is that Andrew Huberman? He's like, I've never met anyone. Who knows who Andrew Huberman is? <laughs> he was like You're a good at We're about to be friend, best friends. Yeah, yeah. Just like you, he had like 10 pages of different Andrew Huberman notes in his Google Drive. And I was like, dude, you got to post these or something. So one is like in conversation, throwing out questions that sometimes you'll swing and a miss, right? If I ask somebody like, you know, what are you passionate about or what are you working on right now? Are you building any side projects? And they're like, they're just looking at me like, what? <laughs> you know? Do that? Yeah, yeah. So I went know. to Lion last night. Did that count? <laughs> yeah. So it happens, right? And you'll have a swing and a miss. But if you don't ask those questions, you don't you you won't uncover who is uh, interested in the stuff that you're interested in, um, and uh, yeah. So my way is like intellectually curious, somewhat like entrepreneurial ting to them, and so I ask those types of questions. But I think no matter what you're interested in, you can just throw out those feelers in conversation, and you're talking with a, I don't know ten twenty people a day. You are probably going to find like one person a week who like you really really click with. And that only happens if you ask those questions. And then the second way is online. And I think Twitter is a great way. You guys do it on Instagram. But just continually kind of post about the things that you're interested, the things that you're doing, and the things that you believe. And if you do that, more and more people will, uh, you know, see it. And you're sending signals out to other people that um, eventually you send enough signals out to be like, all right, that's my kind of guy. Like, let me reach out. Talk talk about this concept of building in public, which is what you actually, you you taught me about that concept very well. Yeah, yeah. So building in public is kind of this popular concept on Twitter, where um, you know, let's say somebody's working on a startup or a side project or something like that. By building in public and updating people on, you know, I don't know what revenue they got. Some people don't do that, but the things that they've learned along the way, um, you are you are one sending out signals for like people who are aligned with the thing that you're building or the ideas that you have to come and say what's up or follow you or interact with you. Um, and then you're also sort of de-risking the thing that you're working on, right? A lot of people think like an entrepreneurial venture, it's all or nothing, right? You guys just launched Galleon yesterday. Um, and, you know, somebody might think, 
all the work that you put up in the last nine months to get to that launch is directly correlated to how big the launch is or like these it's all risky right it's like oh fuck the launch doesn't go well like those nine months are wasted but instead if you're building a public updating people on the things that you learn about and you know the things that you are doing you um let me think you one have a forcing function to really think about okay what am i learning and and what am i doing and then you also are building a sort of uh breadcrumbs trail showing people your process to becoming the type of person that you become, right? So then in a job interview or when you chat with somebody, rather than you just talking about the launch and the like success you had of getting a thousand users or whatever you guys had, they can also see all the blog posts that you wrote about the things that you've learned and the type of person that you become. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing, the way I look at it is like, first of all, I have a funny story. Evan comes up to me. He's like, dude, I saw Clancy tweeted about building in public and I loved it. I'm going to go to the Biff later today and just work on the app. I was like, what? What, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I'm going to go to a public place and just. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, I guess go uh, for it. <laughs> um, so not the same exact literal definition. But the way I think about it is like building in public, which is like being transparent online about what you're doing and the processes and stuff like that. Uh, it has low downside, but very high upside where it's an asymmetric opportunity. If if someone doesn't care about it, cool, they'll just swipe past it. There's a million other things on Twitter to look through. It doesn't matter. There's no harm. But. If the right person sees your tweet at the right time, it can open up the door to all kinds of opportunities yeah. that you have like never even imagined. You know, hundred percent. I got like a the job that I'm working out right now. I'm getting paid like a solid, like more money than I've ever gotten paid, like twice as much or three times as much as I've ever gotten paid. When you went on your uh, SF trip, didn't you like do one tweet that ended up like going viral and you got three people offering you internship offers just from your DMs alone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I basically tweeted about this like serendipity of I met somebody who is like the co-founder of Twitch at a bar in San Francisco, but it blew up. And then yeah, three different people hit me up, like um, not because of the tweet that I tweeted, but because of all of the previous work that they'd seen. And one of those people is a person that I'm working for now. His name's Jason Levin, who I think is coming on the pod later. Um and I got it as a result of, you know, I, I saw his Twitter account, him building in public, him talking about his growth of writing a newsletter and content agency. Then I hit him up, got Chipotle with him in New York City last summer. And then we just kind of stayed Twitter friends. And I would see the stuff that he was working on. He'd see the stuff I was working on, sometimes common in between. And then eventually that tweet blew up. And he also saw, like, in my <laughs> profile, the things that I'd done before, doing business development, doing sales. Or I'm just, like, tweeting about the things that I'm learning as a sales guy. Um, and then he's like, okay, well, I know Luke is probably going to be a pretty good salesman or at least is a good thinker. Like, mm. let me give him a shot. Right. And it's de-risking the like employer, the decision maker as well, because they already know what I'm about. And I had no incentive to, to tweet the things that I tweeted. Um, cause I didn't know that that opportunity even existed. Right. So he just saw like my authentic thoughts. I think yeah. it's one I other thing it. is that when you also building a public, like the best person to learn from is the person that is like one step ahead of you. And I think being that person to somebody else is really, really helpful and really valuable. And if you just want to give back, right, you should just be talking about the things that you're learning because there's probably 100 people um, that could use those same lessons um, that you just learned. Love that. Yeah. I think, like, you know, if you have a Spanish teacher that's, like, affluent, spoke it her whole life or yeah. his whole life, and they're trying to teach you, they're like, why, you still, why don't you understand this? And then someone that just learned is like, oh, you have to conjugate the verbs. You empathize more. and. They just know what they had to go through to learn it. Yeah. Right. Versus someone that's a billionaire, it's hard to remember. They're all about they're different things now, right? It's lowering risk or it's whatever. They don't have to go back and say, you know, 
I take this huge. I mean, we talked to Larry yesterday. Larry was amazing, great guy. He, but he said a couple things like um, that he mentioned where he was saying, you know, I took this crazy risk of like having ten credit cards, and when you're at that spot, you have to have that blind optimism, just get in the game and swing. And if you miss, you miss. But like, he went all in, right? Looking back now, he says, wow, that was kind of dumb. Survivorship right. bias, basically. But, I mean, it was dumb looking back on it now, but, like, you had to be dumb to yeah. do it, right? And that's the thing with, like, you need someone that's right above you to learn from. Mm-hmm. And being that person to someone, if you can help them with that, um, they'll have a lot more respect. And uh, like you said earlier, it's it's not like they're indebted to you, but, like, kind of at the same time, right? Yeah. Because they can attribute, like, a lot of their success to things they learned from you, right? And I think there's just, yeah, it's a very low low um risk thing to do that. to build build in public um i have heard that once you're big like online it's not as good to build in public but when you're small yeah. it's really good right yeah, because once yeah, you're yeah. big and you start building out like building in public someone's like oh that works let me just copy it and then yeah. now you have like 12 competitors in your s- space you know so exactly yeah it can be different times different places i different. think that also all comes back at least your lesson um and what i just talked about comes back to like why it's helpful to build a community or find those people because you can also find the people that are one step ahead of you right let's say you have five friends and then they invite their friends maybe one of their friends is doing the thing that you wanted to do but uh you know they're six months ahead and so building a community or just you know being actively i don't know actively searching for people that are aligned with the stuff you're aligned with you're probably going to accelerate your learning and and your odds of achieving success and whatever that be so i always thought that doing this and putting time and effort into this would be uh, kind of a waste. What the, What is this? Uh, building a community or trying to find people with similar values or whatever. Um, really? I did. I did. But I realize now that it doesn't have to be that way. You could take the same exact things you're doing each day and just add people to them. It'll make them more enjoyable and you'll have better relationships. Better relationships. You'll have, you'll have better <laughs> insights. You'll have all these different things that we talked about, right? So for example, Aiden Murphy, uh, one of our good friends who's coming on the pod, he built the uh, entrepreneurship hub here at U of I, um, and they have entrepreneurship like work hours once a week where people come and they mm-hmm. they work in groups on their startups. Right? They were going to do that anyways, mm-hmm. but now they're just in a setting where there's other people doing the same thing around mm-hmm. them, and so now they can say, "Oh, we have this problem. Like, can you guys fix it? No, look around. Uh, oh, let's go to this other group over here. Do you guys have a solution to this problem?" And just like that. You increase your productivity. You increase all these different things. And you're doing the same thing you would have done anyways. And so for me, what I thought was uh, maybe a waste of time or something I shouldn't be putting my effort into, uh, I was definitely dead wrong about that. Dude, I I totally agree. We went, uh, Jack Evan and I went to one of these entrepreneurship hours on a Monday night to work on Galleon. Mm -hmm. And Silly was there, who was another different app on campus, dating app that had just launched about a week before that. So we got to hear all about their launch story, the things mm. that didn't work, their human capital management, like deployment, all that stuff. And then we were able to learn from their experiences and basically have a better launch ourselves, you know? Right. Um, and that's someone who's just right above the, the rung on the ladder exactly. that you want to get to, right? Exactly. And so you're learning from someone that's directly, and you wouldn't have had that without that community that has been built. Mm-hmm. So shout out Aiden. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, well, good episode. Thanks, Clancy, for coming on. Appreciate yeah, it. Very audible. Always. We told Clancy maybe... Eight minutes before this pod started. Yo, you want to hop on? Always. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. Love it. All right. See See ya. ya.